views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. of BTR News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. On this Friday night, it's just a few minutes after 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I hope that my voice finds you safe and sound as much as you can be behind enemy lines. But um, tonight, we are going to continue to review this Netflix documentary, Who Killed Malcolm X?, Um, And then after we listen to installment number three, this is episode number three, which is titled um, The Black Messiah, episode number three, Black Messiah, we will open up the phone lines for those who want to share any commentary or ask me any questions. And so, um, you know, this is, of course, number three in this series, probably will start back next week. continuing to review the documentary because it's about seven or eight episodes but we're just going to do one at a time because of time constraints but um if you would like to call in the number of course is posted to the btr news promo for tonight on blacktalkradionetwork.com but if you're listening or tune in or any of the other um places that we distribute our live programming you can give us a call write the number down and it's pretty easy to remember but it's 704-802-5056 that's 704-802-5056 now you'll hit have to then hit the star key twice in order for me to know that you want to make a comment because some people use that line to listen as well Um, But just follow the prompts. The lady, when you call in, she'll tell you what to do if you would like um, to speak with the host. She'll tell you how to to do that. So, again, this is the documentary that came out on Netflix, Who Killed Malcolm X, a film by black filmmaker, historian, activist, and investigative journalist, Abdul Mohammed. But to be honest with you, He's not really the producer of this. Uh, There's a number of producers, but this was put out by ARC Media. And I pulled up their LinkedIn page to just try to find out more about who this media company is. But I got a couple of names, um, but I was not able to find them. You know, I could have did a little bit more research. I'm sure I would have been able to find them, but I just didn't have time. I have a lot going on. Um, right now. Um, but yeah, it was put out by Arc Media. Um, as I shared during the last broadcast, that one of the hosts on Black Talk Radio Network, who was a writer, her critique of the film was that it, it, it was poorly written, it was poorly done, and she blamed 
Henry Louis Gates uh, Jr., I think it is, Henry Louis Gates Jr., I'm not sure. Uh, he's one of the executive producers. Then there's another black woman who's listed as an executive producer who also has film um, experience in making documentaries and what have you. But as I stated on the last broadcast, you know, it was just jumping around the different time periods in Malcolm's life. And, you know, it was, it was kind of hard to follow. So I can understand where, where she was coming from. And then I'm also reading stuff that's being put out to other pe researchers on the murder of Malcolm X. Um, like Carl, uh, what is Carl's last name? I can't think of it. Carl Shabazz, I think it is, something like that. I'm, I'm not sure. Let me pull up his website so I can give you. Because I linked to this blog that he put out today. Um review arc media and malcolm x bad acting and half truths um and this was put out uh dude the brother got his name on here i can't think of his name right now but uh we've been sharing his name he, he this is his blog um so i don't i don't have his name uh right now but i'll have it later you know, it's not really that important, but what he's writing about this film is important. They had asked him to be a part of this documentary, and he turned them down because he found some untruths in the, in, in the um, you know, script, I guess you would call it. Even though it's not fiction, they still write scripts or what have you. And, um, you know, he shared information with them, and... They just ignored the information. Like he's saying, you know, the film is putting forth that Norman Butler X, whatever his name was, one of the people who uh, was convicted of killing Malcolm. The film tries to say like he's not there. And as this writer is pointing out, he's saying that, well, absolutely he was there. He's right there on film. There he is in a tweed coat. As one of the witnesses uh, stated that she knew him as a black Muslim and what have you. But, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of, but there is some controversy uh, surrounding this particular film, but I'm still going to review the rest of it. I was like, is it even worth me even doing all the rest of the episodes and stuff? But, you know, it's still some stuff that we can pick up from watching it. And, um, you know, but definitely just keep in the back of our mind that a lot of the facts are, are in dispute concerning who carried out the murder. Okay, so... Again, the telephone number is 704-802-5056. If after um, we play this particular episode uh, and you have any commentary you'd like to share, then you'll be able to give us a call at that time. So let me go ahead and get that queued up for you. And we will roll with it. In the 1960s, the FBI launched one of the biggest counterintelligence operations in its entire history. Black people everywhere today are fed up with the hypocrisy practiced by whites. And they kept a very close watch on Brother Bell. And if something isn't done, then I'm afraid that you will have a racial explosion. And a racial explosion is more deadly than an atomic explosion. Jago Hoover, the director of the FBI, was deathly afraid of someone like Malcolm X. Malcolm was being surveilled. He was being followed. His phone was tapped. If you look at the investigation of Malcolm X, 
It's when he becomes a public figure for the Nation of Islam that the Bureau starts taking more of an interest into his subversive rhetoric. You seem to be dissatisfied with everything. Just what do you want? I'm not dissatisfied with everything. I'm just telling you that the Negroes themselves should take whatever steps necessary to defend themselves. The FBI had multiple high-ranking paid human informants in the leadership of the Nation of Islam. Could it have been that FBI informants were actively involved in Malcolm's murder? Almost certainly so. Some members of the Nation of Islam became willing tools, but they were the puppets. The puppeteers were in charge of that whole situation. Dazzling speaker, dazzling. Practically every Saturday, I would go to 125th and 7th to hear him. I studied him seriously because I considered him potentially a grave threat, a danger. We have a subculture in our society, and it resides in the ghetto, and we are conditioning the subculture, and their reaction is very predictable. I was a detective, the sergeant, and lieutenant. We were monitoring what we thought were subversive activities, attending meetings, listening to speakers. That's really how we got involved with Malcolm. We see that they have surrounded us with many of their own agents, in uniform and out of uniform, who have spent much time here in Harlem posing as peace officers and at the same time breaking up the peace of black people. We thought Malcolm was a very capable, talented, dangerous man. He became the most charismatic figure in the nation of Islam. We didn't know if he was going to break the law, but he had power. The NYPD had a special unit that was actually, it was modeled after the FBI. It was called the Red Squad but his official title was BALSI, the Bureau of Special Services and Investigation. They were like a miniature FBI that the FBI helped to train. We would see the cops there at every demonstration, 
and we see them with cameras. So it was it didn't take us long to do some research and figure out what they were doing. Are you conducting surveillance with demonstrations? I believe I tell you that. Why should you? I mean, like, do you have anything to hide? Is there anything illegal? Okay. You're the police department. They saw certain organizations as threats, and they wanted to destroy those organizations. Boss sees a threat as anyone who's agitating for radical change, and they saw Malcolm as a threat. Malcolm knew he was being lied. He used to say to his people, I hope you don't mind, but you're probably being tapped. We know that the cops do that to us. I knew that Malcolm picked up phones on the second ring. So I would listen to ring one, and then perfectly time it with ring two. He had two phones, and I just listened from eight in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. That was what the position was. I knew Malcolm. And he knew that I was uh, a member of Bossy. He knew that. He always called Lieutenant Bowser, how are you? He thought that the police department was monitoring him in a very obvious way. I don't think he understood that we were tapping his wire and, uh, and listening to the tapes. Did we uh, suppress enthusiasm for civil liberties? Did we intrude into privacy? Yes. But I was all right with it because I felt that we were protecting the nation. We cooperated with the FBI. We were uh, intimate. They had a guy who was there every day going through all files and reports and giving them to his superiors. And this is the, in the age of J. Edgar Hoover, of all things. Awful man. And we were his handmaidens. As long as I am director of the FBI, it will continue to maintain its high and impartial standards of investigation, despite the hostile opinions of its detractors. In reconstructing the chronology of Malcolm's life, working with the Malcolm X Project, which was founded by the late Manning Marable at Columbia University, the FBI is an important source because of how extensive their surveillance was of him. You can chronicle Malcolm's daily movements, the date, the place, the people, by going through the FBI files. The FBI first started investigating Malcolm in 1950. He was still in prison. Once he got out of prison, they kept almost daily tabs on Malcolm. Malcolm kept them busy. The growth of the nation and the FBI surveillance of Malcolm go hand in hand. I mean, Hoover has a deep history of trying to subvert black radical movements and also a fear of what he later describes as the Black Messiah. This fear that one singular figure is going to lead exactly what he fears, which is a revolution. I pray that God will bless you in everything that you do. I pray that you will grow intellectually, 
so that you can understand the problems of the world and where you fit into in that world picture. Brother Malcolm might have been that Messiah who could have unified and electrified the black nationalist organizations. And that's what they did not want. The Bureau's investigation of Malcolm X really picked up in the early 1960s as he became much more of a public figure because of his influence in bringing members into the Nation of Islam. The Bureau, like much of America, was very afraid that radical revolutionary violence was on the horizon. And they were very concerned that perhaps there would be a leader to rise to focus that anger. And they took it on themselves to look for ways to to try and prevent that. Remember, Malcolm is political. Elijah Muhammad is religious. And the FBI's worst fear is that Elijah Muhammad would become more political. The Nation of Islam, which already has a paramilitary structure, could then be converted into soldiers for struggle. So the FBI was determined to use counterintelligence techniques to create more distance and schisms between Malcolm and Elijah Muhammad. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. He said if you uh, have a fear about being uh, coming under FBI surveillance, then you should not get involved with me. Everybody is here. Sometimes they will have agents to attend meetings, but that depends on what type of gathering it is. If white people are okay to be in it, then you can expect to see an agent. But if it's not, then they have informants. And you must make a distinction between an informant and an agent. How old were you at the time when you were assigned Malcolm X? I would imagine I was 27, 28. There's a thousand agents in New York City. And there's this one little squad run by a fellow named Ruckel that did black extremists. So I ended up on squad. We called ourselves the Ruckel's Raiders, you know. (laughs) So I spent every day working Malcolm X. We ran spot surveillances, developed informants. We didn't have any black agents, so you had to go out and they had to develop informants. These were just black people we picked up on the street. We were all the time looking for somebody that you thought you could use. And uh, not only us, the Bureau of Special Service of the New York City Police Department, they had their informants. So we would exchange information. I would meet them, never in Harlem. I would search out places, underground garages, movie theaters. I liked the movie theaters. Movie theaters were dark. I'd go in, 
The informer knew I'd get down the left aisle, halfway down, take the second seat in. He'd come and sit beside me. We'd exchange information, then he'd leave. I'd stay and watch a movie. <laughs> There are documents in the FBI file that clearly establish FBI agents were tracking Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam, and Malcolm X. They knew all the secrets. The question is, what did they do with the information? Hey there, great to see you. Dave Garrow is an expert on the FBI's involvement in disrupting black groups during the 60s and the 70s. Come in and sit down. He and I check in occasionally about the Malcolm X case. I think many people would imagine that the most wiretapped person by Hoover's FBI was Martin Luther King Jr. Well, no. The person who was most electronically surveilled by Hoover's FBI was Elijah Muhammad. The FBI was listening to Elijah Muhammad and his top aides 24 hours a day. So, this speaks very explicitly to how important Hoover's FBI thought the Nation of Islam was. The FBI may very well not have understood everything of what they were hearing, but those electronic surveillance logs may be evidence towards identifying who the conspirators behind Malcolm's murder were. Now, these 1962 documents where the Bureau is aiming to publicly embarrass Elijah Muhammad, you know, that's a classic Bureau tactic. You should have a look at this. Bureau continues to receive information through investigation conducted by Chicago and Phoenix that Elijah Muhammad is engaging in extramarital activities with at least five female members of the Nation of Islam. This information indicates Muhammad has fathered some children by these women. These paradoxes in the character of Elijah Muhammad make him extremely vulnerable to criticism by his followers. So they're trying to find a way to damage his reputation and damage his, his image with his own followers. Right. Um, as I can show you here, this is a great example of how the Bureau used counterintelligence tactics or a COINTELPRO to embarrass Elijah. This is coming out of the internal security section um, at FBI headquarters. Chicago was authorized to prepare and mail an anonymous letter to Clara Muhammad. These letters should be mailed at staggered intervals using care to prevent any possibility of tracing the mailing back to the FBI. So these are the kind of tactics the FBI was using. These yes. poison pen letters. Yes. COINTELPRO was the FBI's nickname for dirty tricks. The tactics of COINTELPRO were meant to disrupt the ability of groups to focus and to coordinate activities trying to use information that the Bureau had gathered over the years to disrupt 
some of these more radical groups that they thought were threats. What is the significance of the Western Union telegram from J. Edgar Hoover that reads, enough of this black violence? Then there's another quote. Do something about Malcolm X. What would the director be asking for? There is obviously an issue which he's concerned with, the violence. Could that be interpreted as something more nefarious? Is it possible? As far as the activity... I mean, do something... Well, the range of things we've seen the Bureau do, from sending anonymous letters, sending material to the press, to try and create rifts within the group. So more nefarious seems to be going a little far. On the other hand, these were all activities well outside of anything the Bureau should have been doing. Obviously, the kind of investigation that was begun on Malcolm X would not have cut mustard today. When men will seek to destroy the Church of God, mm -hmm. they have degenerated to a tragic level <laughs> of inhumanity and sin. The goal of Dr. Martin Luther King is to get Negroes to forgive the people who have brutalized them for 400 years by, by lulling them to sleep and making them forgetting what those whites have done to them. The civil rights movement was just getting cranked up. But laying down and letting people spit on you and beat you and hoses on you, you just be there and nonviolent, it didn't appeal to Malcolm. He wanted something that had a little more bite to it. As long as the dogs were biting Negro women, Negro babies, and Negro children, Kennedy said nothing. It was only after the Negroes began to strike back. You see, the nation of Islam had a position where they didn't get involved in politics and totally opposed, you know, to the general activities in terms of civic affairs. The way things were going in the 60s, Malcolm could not abide by that apolitical philosophy. He said some very, very harsh things against the civil rights leaders. Martin Luther King is just a 20th century or modern Uncle Tom who is doing the same thing today to keep Negroes defenseless in the face of the facts that Uncle Tom did on the plantation to keep those Negroes defenseless. For years, Malcolm was beaten up on King. That's what you mean by nonviolent. Be defenseless. He said it's time to stop singing and start swinging. It was politics that really started the rift between Malcolm and the nation. And the Ronald Stokes incident in Los Angeles changed everything. The LAPD clashed with a group of young black Muslims. One Negro was killed, and six others seriously injured. Black communities in Los Angeles had been fighting for years against police brutality. And an off-duty police officer winds up shooting Ronald Stokes while he has his arms extended in prayer. Seven Muslims were shot. None of them were armed. None of them were struggling. None, none of them were fighting. None of them were trying to defend themselves. Malcolm had been building up the mosque in Los Angeles since the late 50s. Ronald Stokes was the mosque secretary. Malcolm knew Ronald Stokes from Boston. He was very close to him. And I believe it was Dr. Betty Shabazz said that that was the only time she ever saw Malcolm X cry when Ronald Stokes was killed. 
can talk about Birmingham, Alabama all you want. This happened in Los Angeles, California. Malcolm wants revenge. According to people who are close to Malcolm, he wants to organize people to go out and deal with the police who did this. We have witnesses who saw this Negro beaten by the police as he was laying on the sidewalk dying with a bullet already through his heart. This is Ronald Stokes. He's a fine better Kappa, Corey, and Beth. Not only did Elijah Muhammad veto retaliation against the police, he said, cool Malcolm down, cool him down, man, cool him down. I'm not about to go to war with the Los Angeles police. The Nation of Islam at this time was making an incredible amount of money through their business empire. So for Malcolm to be out there making all these political statements, it's threatening their money, and it caused the nation a lot of problems. We do believe in defending ourselves if we're attacked. And Elijah Muhammad is against the police brutality but doesn't want Malcolm to take this active stance. And Malcolm has to come home. Many of you thought we should go right on out then and make war on the white man. You wanted to do it yourself, didn't you? And Malcolm was very embarrassed by that. Because after all of this rhetoric about an eye for an eye, you guys did nothing. Because you don't like the idea of white people shooting black people down, do you? And this was escalating tensions between Malcolm and the nation. And the white man should be thankful that God has given the Honorable Elijah Muhammad the control over his followers that he has. So that they can play it cool, calm, and collective. At this stage of the game, based upon information that the Bureau received through their taps and through other sources, they began to see some ripples. They began to see that all was not well in paradise. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad said we were honeycombed with enemies who wanted to destroy the movement from within. Whether they were working for the FBI or working for the New York Police Department, the enemies of the Nation of Islam wanted to kill two birds with one stone. The FBI had three human informants in the Nation of Islam whom it regarded as top-level informants. That top-lev is simply an abbreviation for top-level. At the top of the Nation of Islam, it was a very small little pyramid. So when we have the FBI saying that they have three top-level informants, the potential pool of, of individuals is less than 10 uh, possible people. I went to Washington so they arranged for me to be interviewed by Hoover. He turned me down. I was turned down directly by Hoover. He said, not at this time. I'm on the phone with uh, John Ali, former National Secretary for the Nation of Islam under the leadership of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Yeah, Brother John, um, there have been rumors that you was a double agent working for the FBI. Did you want to comment on that? Well, I was no agent for the FBI or any other entity other than the United States. They all were the same to the messenger. People just tell me. Messenger, or they had a room that John Ali was a FBI or something. But this didn't excite the messenger making apprehensive. The 
messenger stated clearly that everything has failed. The American so-called Negro, the government, the Congress, the FBI, and the church. We all were the same to the messenger. He didn't view one more vicious than the other. They're all pockets on the same pants. So if there was no shame in being an FBI informant, was there any truth to the rumor that you were? No. No more than saying I was a usher in the church. You consider they all the same. Pockets on the same pants. Let every nation know that we shall pay any price, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and the success of liberty. So, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. There's as though nothing has happened in the motorcade route. It was definitely the president's car. Apparently something is wrong here, something is terribly wrong. President John F. Kennedy died at approximately 1 o'clock Central Standard Time today here in Dallas. The Kennedy assassination was really the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. We all was uh, shocked at the hearing of respect. Elijah Muhammad had great respect for Kennedy and said, this man is the country's president. This is our country, so we can't say anything disrespectful. In the months leading up to this, Malcolm has been verbally beating up John Kennedy. So everyone wants to know what Malcolm is thinking. Malcolm had made preparations to bring the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to New York for a big speech. And Kennedy, in the interim, had been assassinated. So he told Malcolm, we'll call the meeting off. Malcolm pleaded with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He said, if you let me continue with that meeting, I won't say anything about Kennedy. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad told him that he could go ahead with it. But he said, be sure you don't say anything about the late president. He said, he's well-loved and it would not rest well with the people. Malcolm was at his house in Queens. I was assigned to escort Malcolm uh, to the Manhattan Center. We drove down uh, to Manhattan Center. When Malcolm went through that whole program, never said anything about the president. At the end, he opens the floor for questions. And a man stood up. To this day, I can see his face. And he said, uh, Minister Malcolm, do you care to comment on the death your assassination of John F. Kennedy. Malcolm dropped his head down and he thought it looked like that minute of silence was an hour and then he raised his head. 
Malcolm X, second in command of the black Muslim movement, expressed joy at the assassination of President Kennedy at a Manhattan rally last Sunday. Malcolm said that the killing of the president was an instance of the chickens coming home to roost. He added, and we quote, being an old farm boy myself, chickens coming home to roost never make me sad. They always make me glad. And the audience broke into a tremendous applause. He didn't take no more questions. He walked off the stage. And I was surprised. It shocked me. Why would he say that? And especially the Kennedys. I think at this point, Malcolm was tired of this kind of political game that Elijah Muhammad was playing. Look, all the violence that this government has brought to other parts of the world is coming home now. That's our teaching. Well, I said the same thing that everybody says, that uh, his assassination was the result of the climate of hate. But only, I, only, only I said the chickens came home to roof, and, which means the same thing. Because the president died, you know, we're not going to speak the truth. But did you, did, you did not say that you were glad the president was killed. No, that's what the press said. Uh-huh. What would I look like saying that I'm glad the president was killed? John Ali was dead. He claims that he wasn't, but he was. And he ran to the phone, he called Chicago. He said, Minister Malcolm, is, he said this about the president. And the next day... This statement from Messenger Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the Muslims of America. Minister Malcolm has been suspended from public speaking for the time being. The advantages to obey, you know? And the disadvantage is to disobey. You don't get a reward if you disobey. You only get a reward if you obey. Elijah Muhammad sat Malcolm down. He told him, you can no longer represent us on a national level until a period of 90 days. He left him in charge of the area, the East Coast area, and left him on salary. Told him to sit down and don't say nothing. Malcolm knew what he was doing. He was being rebellious. He had gotten so popular, and it went to his head. This whole thing was emotional from the time it started. Everything, the whole atmosphere, the environment was charged. Once the messenger gave him those 90 days, people started taking sides, and then things just snowballed from there. I'm not the number two man of the Muslim movement. Uh, like the press has been uh, saying over and over. The FBI, by this point, has a pretty well-worn strategy, and they're making sure that the public feels like there's a tension between Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. They are pretty actively feeding information through journalists. And it fed into this narrative that Malcolm was trying to take over the nation. So Malcolm has to constantly go around and say, I'm not the next leader, I'm not the number two. And it's an insult to me to refer to me as the heir apparent of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. I'm his minister. Elijah Muhammad, he started delegating more of the administration of the nation to his children and the National Secretary, John Ali. They started putting seeds of doubt in his mind about Malcolm's loyalty and they're getting in his head. Did you hear what Minister Malcolm said? And Elijah Muhammad starts believing this and he starts seeing Malcolm as being dangerous. 
My wake is divine wake. Allah has chosen me for the wake. And I put down one and take up another one. If one baby don't act right, he will spank him anyway and make him act right. When I had the Malcolm X case, I was interested to find out that they were turning on each other and who was in which faction. So when Malcolm was suspended, I interviewed him in his home and tried to talk him into being an informant. I did not know it was being recorded at the time. Your name is Beckwith. Beckwith, right? And your name is Frankly, one of the reasons we picked this particular time to contact is because of the suspension. The suspension was brought about by my own doing. Yeah, exactly. We would be interested in having you help us out. Help you out to do what? What we're interested in, uh, basically, are the names, who they are, the identification. I don't even know them. Uh, you have, do you keep no records? I'm not, it's not my job. I'm just preaching. Yeah, but somebody out there keeps the record. I don't know who. I don't have any knowledge of those guys. Uh, sometimes, uh, money brings out uh, the information. Uh, I know intent to insult you here. You insult my intelligence. And in fact, no, you insult your own because you would have known in advance what I'm going to say when you ask that question. There's no government agency that can ever expect any information out of me. We talked him in there for well over an hour. He was nice and courteous, but not too cooperative. So it was a try. You make a stab at it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, you move on. Malcolm X, you were involved in a controversy some months ago with your leader. Is that over? Well, I've been silent because of uh, some statements I made concerning the President of the United States. There is no such thing as a split between no, you and No, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught me everything I know and made me everything I am. Malcolm had learned to depend on Elijah Muhammad greater than a man would look to his father. He didn't have a father just like me. And Elijah Muhammad was a father. The Holy Apostles, I've been working on these notes I've taken during conversations with you during the past 10 years. Whenever I feel lonely, forsaken, or even angry, I go back to the words of wisdom and healing in these notes. When Malcolm was set down by Elijah Muhammad, he was not technically fired, but he was no longer allowed to perform his duties. And Malcolm was writing letters that were designed to reconcile. If you would have mercy upon me and given me another chance, I'd stay out of the public. I'd be he would write, there was no answer. No way in the world could he even contact Elijah Muhammad because he wouldn't go past the head office. Whatever his relationship was with Elijah Muhammad now had so many intermediaries, he could not even directly communicate. I believe the authorities of this country, they were trying to put Elijah Muhammad against Malcolm for the loan. They were sending false mail out doing that riff. I was living in Miami at the time. 
I was the captain over the miles. They called me Captain Sam back in that time. This is Sam Saxon, leader of a militant Miami mosque. They are black Muslims. And the FBI says the movement is a potential threat. So I was in the streets of Miami selling papers. I heard somebody all across the street. Hey, brother! He said, yeah, I'm Cassius Clay. I'm going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world. I said, yeah, man, I know you. You just won the Olympics. And then from that day on, me and him would hit it off like two peas in the same hub. <laughs> I signed myself as a head of security for Cassius Clay. I introduced him to Malcolm. Donald Elijah Muhammad set Malcolm down from speaking to the public for 90 days. So we brought Malcolm down to Miami and let him cool out. Give him a little vacation. That's when come loose that Malcolm was in Miami to recruit Cassius Clay to the Black Muslim movement. I want to talk with you briefly about your affiliation with Cassius. Cassius has been following the religion of Islam for the past four or five years. And he's the most, he's always been the most likable, friendly person in the world. Cassius Clay finds an image in the, in the Nation of Islam, and especially Malcolm X, that he's really, really attracted to. Clay says, you know, I saw the way he was battling these white folks and defeating them. And he said, you know, I fell in love with him. I frankly believe that Cassius is in a better position than anyone else to restore a sense of uh, racial pride to not only our people in this country, but all over the world. In January of 1964, Ali's getting ready for the biggest fight of his life. He's also got Malcolm sort of whispering in his ear. Do you have any <laughs> prediction you'd like to make? No. When we'll solve this? Cassius makes all the predictions. Two people aren't bent on controlling Cassius Clay. One is Malcolm X, the other is Elijah Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad sees Clay as a pliable gold mine. If Malcolm had enough control over Clay, you could tell the messenger, all is forgiven on both sides, and this is what I'm going to deliver to you. Malcolm tried to leverage the relationship that he had developed with Ali in order to bring him back into the good graces of Elijah Muhammad. Welcome to Miami Beach, Florida for the heavyweight championship of the world. I think Malcolm was aware that there were a lot of different ways this could go, but as it happened, he was ringside in uh, seat number seven. Another jarring right hand that time, folks. Another one. Sonny Rabo. Sonny Rabo. Clearly, if Ali were to win the heavyweight championship, he would be an important figure to the nation of Islam. And if Malcolm's the guy who helps make that happen, then he maybe becomes valuable, too. Malcolm X 
What do you think of Cash's victory in Miami? I think it was a great victory. He proved he was the best man. After Cassius Clay wins the heavyweight championship, Malcolm X is trying to say that if this young man comes with me, we can influence millions of people all across the world. It's just that he's not as clever as Elijah Muhammad when it comes to power politics. They had said that he would, listen, would tear up that pretty face of yours. But Allah and myself said no, no. Elijah Muhammad was playing chess when Malcolm was playing checkers. The messenger gives Clay a new name, Muhammad Ali, a name that Malcolm really never got. Why do you insist on being called Muhammad Ali now? That's the name given to me by my leading teacher, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. That's my original name. That's a black man named Cassius Clay. was my slave name. I'm no longer a slave. What does it mean? Muhammad means worthy of all praises, and Ali means most high. The way in which you inspire loyalty is that you give people things, and it's transactional. Well, Malcolm had nothing to offer. Muhammad Ali is going to reject Malcolm X. Um, part of that is out of fear of angering the nation of Islam. Part of that is just narcissism. No, what Malcolm X does is his business. He's one man. Once Elijah Muhammad turned on Malcolm, then Muhammad Ali turned on Malcolm. And that's when Malcolm realized, really came to understand that his days in the nation were pretty much done. It seems as if everyone around him understood something that he was too close to see. He thought, he would be reinstated. And I think it's really not until after Muhammad Ali's fight that he realizes that that's not going to happen. I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful. Elijah Muhammad is divesting himself of his greatest asset and weakening his organization. It's like a baseball team deprived of his biggest slugger. I mean, how much better does it get than that? Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. And... We are live streaming right now. If you're um, listening to the podcast later, a little bit later, please share the podcast. Again, um, as always, I was taking notes. I don't have as many notes as I had um, the other night. I had like three pages of notes. But tonight, only got about, what, two? About a page and a half of notes. Um, Again, if you have a question or a comment about what you just heard, any questions, about it, please give us a call 704-802-5056 and follow the prompts to be heard. Now, uh, let me just jump right into, to, um, well, before I jump into my notes again, I I do agree with um, the sister who told me that this was a poorly done documentary. Um, I mean, the title is Who Killed Malcolm X? And, you know, it's, this particular episode was all about COINTELPRO and, and, you know, I didn't hear anything 
that I hadn't known before. So I'm wondering these next what? Uh, so this the third four episodes. What what are they really going to cover? I think you could have did a documentary on who killed Malcolm X and did it in an hour. You know, um, it's like they just stringing it, stringing the story out as long as possible. And a lot of people, man, their attention span is not that long. So the Black Messiah, of course, is a reference to the FBI um, COINTELPRO. Uh, program that um, J. Edgar Hoover was running for all those years and trying to prevent a black messiah. And, you know, one of, one of the things, though, that I think well, is a mistake uh, in the past is whenever an organization invests itself so much in a figurehead that it becomes idolatry. Now, I'm against idolatry for religion, oh, not religious, but spiritual reasons. I do not practice idolatry. I, there is no flesh and blood walking around on this earth that can claim that it that it's a god or a deity or anything like that. But here's really in practical non-spiritual terms of why you don't rely on one one person so heavily. It's like in the military. In the military, the way the command structure is is if let's say let's just break it down to a platoon a platoon um, might have anywhere up to 12 people um it could be different sizes but usually let me see we, oh, let me do some quick math i think i'll probably no more than 16 people in a platoon um but it has a platoon sergeant but um, that platoon is in a company with, with a captain. Usually a captain could be a major uh, that's over the company. But, you know, if a leader of the platoon gets killed, then you got what you know on as squads, you know, within that platoon. And each squad has his own squad leader. And so, you know, if the platoon leader gets killed, whether that be whether that be an officer or a non-commissioned officer, there's always somebody to take his place and and it just you know the mission doesn't stop with the killing of a person now you know that's what happened to the organization for african american unity the organization that malcolm x founded along with it with his sister i believe and um of uh, the scholar john henry clark and after malcolm x's assassination it just basically fell 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 apart you know, uh, I, I guess cause, you know, most people was attracted to it because of of Malcolm and they wasn't really committed to the mission. They was more committed to a man and not committed to the mission. So therefore, when you when you take out the man or the woman, well, whoever the late leader may be, then, you know, it, it just destroys the organization like they, you know, say, cut the head off of a snake and, and what have you. Um, so. You know, COINTELPRO, uh, the FBI surveillance. Now, I had never heard that Elijah Muhammad was um, wiretapped 24-7 like that. 
and you know they still had those recordings. Now I don't know if anybody um, could could put in the inf- uh, Freedom of Information Act, or if anybody has tried to get access to those tapes. But he, I mean, they was doing the same thing to Dr. King, and yes, Dr. King was cheating on his wife, and they had the recordings, and that's when they was you know sending him letters, just like they were sending Elijah Muhammad letters about his infidelities and what have you. They was telling King to just kill himself. And, and again, you know, uh, people are human. They make mistakes. Again, ain't no gods walking around on this earth. All human beings um, are fallible, meaning that they can make mistakes. And, and then even when I found out about that stuff about Martin Luther King Jr., you know, I, I didn't lose any respect respect for him. I just acknowledged that he's a human being with frail, human frailties and, and you know, didn't wasn't able to overcome those temptations and what have you. But that doesn't take away from the work that he was put putting in. But, no, it talked about the FBI. Again, it, this was all over the place, though. Um, but FBI informants, high-ranking Nation of Islam members, were FBI informants taking the money, taking the money, because the FBI was paying. And it also reminded me of that famous... Um, what they call him a civil rights attorney, uh, photographer and his pictures were turning up in all these magazines and he traveled around with King and then you know about 20 years after his death come to find out he was an FBI informant I, I tell you man they uh, really are uh, experts at infiltrating these different movements and destroying them uh, from within um, but you know J. Edgar Hoover um, like today, we're seeing a whole lot of red baiting, and it just reminds me of that time period of communism and socialism and the Red Scare leading to McCarthyism. And, you know, one of the reasons why they targeted the Black Panther Party were because they were socialists and they were creating these programs to help people in poverty get health care, get food in any way they can. And so, you know, J. Edgar Hoover and those like him, um, their number one goal is to defend capitalism. And, I mean, we see that playing out today in reference to Bernie Sanders' campaign, who who does not shy away from referring to himself as a Democratic socialist. And, and so a lot of people think that that means, oh, an authoritarian government and all the power is invested in one person. No, it's not. The Constitution still would exist. But, you know, people, a lot of people refer to Donald Trump as an authoritarian. We hear that, right? And he's not, quote unquote, a democratic socialist. He's, he's a capitalist to his bones, like uh, Elizabeth Warren. So a lot of this stuff, we're still seeing it play out today. All the newspapers um, participating into making the oppressor look like he's the savior and making the one being oppressed make him look like he's the one doing the oppressing. And, and I mean, I tell you, the more things change, the more they stay the same and, and people still fall for this type of stuff. But that's because they're not students of history. Um, it was interesting that they was looking at Malcolm and not Elijah as the threat because Malcolm was was political. He was in the politics and he was about, you know, confronting police brutality, whereas Elijah Muhammad apparently was not. 
He was just all about religion and, and making money through their businesses. At one time, I think in the 70s, they said, he said that they was worth like $75 million and what have you. But as I stated in that other um, podcast during this series is that they was also being funded by the racist white supremacist H.L. Hunt, the Texas oil baron, um, um, because he believed in segregation and Elijah believed in segregation. Um, but you know, again, it kept jump, it kept jumping around. Um, so, but then we hear how Malcolm was attacking Dr. King and misrepresenting Dr. King and saying, Oh, we, we don't want you to turn the other cheek. And he didn't have no understanding that this was a tactic. This wasn't about turning the other cheek. This was a tactic, a propaganda tactic that was pretty successful in capturing images of a brutal white terrorists attacking children and what have you. And, and you know, they willingly um, uh, did that. Now, they had to fought back. How many towns have all black towns have been wiped out? You know what I'm saying? But then when Malcolm wanted to put his money where his mouth was and do something when they killed the Muslims in, in L.A., oh, now, oh, we can't do nothing now because Allah going to repay you know, we gonna turn the other cheek. Just the hypocrisy, man. And then how they be trying to trash black Christians. And, and I'm like, man, you know, if you really look at history, um, y'all didn't do, the Nation of Islam ain't commit no acts of violence and self-defense or what have you against these terrorists. Didn't do, do a darn thing, but wanted to attack Dr. King and tear him down. But, you know, uh, one should know that after Malcolm came into his own mind and thinking for himself, like he stated, he apologized to Dr. King. And I guess he understood, you know, what the tactic was. Um, also, um, FBI tactics would not stand today, where you heard the FBI agent who was assigned to Malcolm Mitch, who's an old man now, um, saying that how... The tactics that they was using during COINTELPRO wouldn't be tolerated today. They would not stand today. And that's a doggone lie. That's a doggone lie. And that's why I be tripping on these people when they take when they take um anything, the intelligence community, whether it's the FBI, the CIA, like the CIA or the intelligence community trying to say Russia is planning to interfere in the U.S. politics and they trying to help Trump and they trying to help Sanders. And if you believe these people without any evidence, which it ain't never presented any, um, then, you know, you're just very, very naive. And they doing these same tactics today. They doing these same tactics um, the black identity extremists, the FBI writing up, you know, this this memo and sending it out to police departments. They ain't stopped. COINTELPRO has not stopped. It never ended. Just like slavery has never ended. And it just pains me when I see, especially black folks, co-signing on to the FBI, like, you know, the FBI is some kind of uh, agency of virtue or 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 uh, agency or people to be believed when they have a history of being of breaking the law in these dirty tactics and what have you and, and it hasn't ended. Uh, let me see. Now I said that Malcolm X later apologized, um, but uh, uh, again, 
for those today who want to be critical of the civil rights nonviolent tactics and they the nation of Islam had Malcolm going out there attacking them about their nonviolent tactics but again Elijah was nonviolent he was nonviolent wouldn't allow Malcolm to do anything like they said it embarrassed Malcolm I've been out here talking all this stuff like we all big and bad and we don't turn the other cheek and then they kill some of our people and we just ain't going to do nothing. Come on now. Uh, also what stood out to me was Elijah's reverence for John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy, white supremacist, okay, um, killing non-white people over there in Vietnam and doing everything they was doing all throughout the world, you know, imperialism or neo-colonialism, uh, doing all that stuff in Africa through the CIA to prevent them from getting their independence and, and, and killing their leaders, assassinating their leaders. And then Malcolm just simply, when Kennedy gets assassinated by, many people say, the CIA, because he wouldn't allow uh, operation uh, uh, um, to uh, invade Cuba after their revolution. Um, so, but here Elijah trying to muzzle Malcolm and oh, don't say nothing about this white man. He's beloved. He's the president of the nation, and then to suspend him when all he's told was the truth and said these chickens came home to roost. The violence that the United States doing all over the world. You know, and it's even uh, biblical. You reap what you sow. That's a scripture. If you sow seeds of violence, you're going to reap seeds of violence and what have you. And that really stood out to me. Uh, uh, you know, got Malcolm out here calling the white man the devil. But then when he says something about one of them devils, oh, you want to shut him down. I'm like, man, hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Uh, let me see. Yeah, I, that that's, um goes along with my notes. Now, I had mentioned before that Malcolm had secret recording equipment in his living room when the FBI came to call, and they played some of those recordings. Those weren't FBI recordings. Those were Malcolm's recordings when they was telling him how we already got people in the, in the nation of Islam, but we want you to work for us too. Take the money, Malcolm. Take the money and then be an informant for the FBI, and Malcolm was no sellout. I tell you, y'all, it's a lot of people that's among us, they'll take the money, and they'll sell out. They may talk big and bad like they'll never do nothing like that, but when the rubber hits the road, they gonna take the money. But Malcolm would not take the money. He was no sellout, even though he was being mistreated. By Elijah, he still didn't sell out the NOI. Now, the whole part, I don't even know why they really included the part about Muhammad Ali, but Muhammad Ali saying, you know, this isn't my name, Cassius Clay was a was a, a slave name, and the messenger has given me, you know, this new name, Muhammad Ali, and I forgot his exact words, but guess what? That can be a slave name too, because that's an Arabic name. And Arabs... Uh, uh, practice slavery too and trafficked in African bodies as well okay so that's, Ar that's Arabic and Arabs are, are classified as white 
when they come to the United States, they are classified as white by immigration officials. So, you know, just the confusion uh, surrounding that. If I call myself Scotty Reed, oh, that's your slave name. Well, you don't even know if if my uh, ancestors was enslaved or if they was free black people. You don't you don't know that. You're just making an assumption, okay? Um, but again, you know, you using Arabic names. These aren't African names. These are Arabic names. You ain't Arabic. You ain't an Arab. You're black, right? Which means you're African descended. But the last thing, and there's no need for me to uh, go on any anymore. We don't have any calls or anybody want to comment. Um, but how that white FBI agent was gloating at the end, who was assigned to Malcolm saying, oh, I was so, I thought it was great when when Elijah sat, uh, uh, sat Malcolm down and put a muzzle on his mouth. You know, he compared, he used a baseball analogy. That's like taking your home run hitter and putting taking him out the game and putting him on the bench and, and how he was just so happy about that. I tell you, man, I tell you. Um, but I didn't really learn anything new. Um, I'm going to watch some of these other episodes and and I'm going a, I'm to a make a determination if it's worth an investment of our time to even review the rest of it. But I will share before I close out. For, um, let me see. This was posted by can't remember the guy's name. I should have been looking it up while that was playing. This is the guy who wrote the book called um, The Messenger, The Rise and Fall of, of Malcolm X. But he wrote this. I'm sorry, I can't find his name right now. But this is the name of his blog post which came out today. Arc Media and Malcolm X, Bad Acting and Half-Truths in commemoration of the 55th anniversary of of the assassination of Malcolm X. And I don't think we should call it an uh, uh, anniversary. I, um, I should say the 55th observance of the assassination of Malcolm X. Because anniversary, you know, you think about a wedding anniversary, my marital anniversary. You know, that that's a positive thing. This was not positive, but I digress. He goes on to say, if the truth will set us free, a lie will keep us in bondage. If you know the whole truth about something, but deliberately withhold part of it, you are no better than a person who creates events out of whole cloth. An old adage is that a half-truth is the same as a whole lie. Having watched the six-part, so it's only six parts, a uh, six-part Netflix series, Who Killed Malcolm X, I can say emphatically that the makers of this series are peddling a half-truth, even though the whole truth was available to them. As such, the series is more propaganda than inquiry, more deception than honesty. Why do I call it a half-truth? Because Arc Media had access to the complete film footage of the scene outside the Audubon Ballroom moments after three members of the Nation of Islam assassinated Malcolm X, a charismatic revolutionary who inspired tens of thousands before his death on February 21st, 1965, and who inspires millions across the globe today. They had access to the complete footage, but they only revealed half of it. They show the footage of the two 
of two of the assassins, Talmadge Hare and William Bradley, fighting with police and spectators, but they deliberately suppressed footage of the third assassin, Norman 3X Butler, wrestling his way through the crowd as the body of Malcolm X is wheeled from the Audubon to the Columbian Presbyterian Hospital across the street. There are a host of problems with the series, but the major offenses and omissions are these. Number one, they minimize the role of the intelligence agencies in orchestrating the assassination. There is, for example, only one reference to the State Department's hostility towards Malcolm X, but they don't show a single document to substantiate it. They fail to make a single reference to the CIA spying on Malcolm X while he was in Africa, and they make no mention of Benjamin H. Reed, a White House official, telling CIA Director Richard Helms in the spring of 1964 that Malcolm was damaging America's foreign policy in the third world and should be dealt with the way the CIA dealt with other foreign leaders who caused problems for America. This information is in the declassified CIA documents on Malcolm X and is readily available. Number three, instead, the entire series is aimed at convincing viewers that Malcolm X was killed by a group of five black Muslims from the Newark Mosque who were acting independently of any leaders of the sect. Number four, to buttress this argument, nearly all of the NOI members interviewed are from Newark. There were no interviews with members from Philadelphia, Chicago, or even Harlem, an inexcusable omission. Number five, while there is a brief mention of a mandatory meeting of officers in the NOI's Fruit of Islam group called by Elijah Muhammad Jr., during which he ordered them to kill Malcolm X, there is no mention that Jr. added an extra incentive of 10000 to the person who killed Malcolm. Damn. See, I ain't know that. The central premise of the series is that two of the three men convicted for murdering Malcolm X were innocent. Why it succeeds in establishing the innocence of Johnson through eyewitness accounts and FBI documents, they fail to show any reliable evidence whatsoever to support Butler's claim of innocence. Number seven, they give the false impression that Abdul Rahman Mohammed is this brave, defiant soldier hell-bent on confronting William Bradley, the shotgun assassin of Malcolm X, but Bradley died before he could do so. This is, of course, utterly ridiculous. Rahman wrote on his blog on April 22, 2010, that he had discovered Bradley's whereabouts. Bradley didn't pass until October of 2018. By then, Arc Media was a full 10 months into the project. If Rahman had eight years to confront Bradley to give the impression that he didn't locate Bradley until shortly before the latter's death is dishonest, one of many half-truths in this series. The Bradley confrontation hoax is one of many. Another half-truth is Rahman's account of how he discovered Bradley's whereabouts. He claims now that he was visiting the mosque and asked about Bradley when someone gave him Bradley's new name, Al-Mustafa Shabazz. This is at odds with what Rahman told me and other researchers in 2010 when he said that he was the Howard University classmate of the nephew of a prominent NOI official whose name has surfaced repeatedly in relation to the assassination. The nephew was the the person who led them to Bradley. Here are some of the key problems with the series episode by episodes. I refer to them as acts because the series is more than theater. It's more theater than documentary. So this is really, really long, but I have linked up to it. 
that you can go and um and read it. I'm going to think about this a little bit and see if it's worth my time even listening to the rest. Um, I am going to watch them, but I'm going to um, see if it's even worth our time of doing a film study on this. So, um, you know, Malcolm X's assassination, I believe, came about because he was willing, he, he discarded his racist views um, towards non-black people. He was willing to work with anybody that was trying to solve the problem of racism and wanted to implement a system of justice. He was moving towards working with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, as, you know, he visited him when he was locked up in Selma, Alabama. Um, he also, Malcolm, threatened um, some white supremacists with the American Nazis in a telegram telling them if they did anything to Dr. King that they the Nazis will have to deal with him and those who who are not nonviolent and what have you. So um, you know, broadening coalitions and and those two man Malcolm and Martin could have made a powerful, powerful team, man. You know? Um yeah. And um it's just a shame that they were not able to fulfill their full potential because of haters and and most of all because of the U.S. racist government still practicing slavery. All right, so that's all I ha have for you. Um, please continue to support the production of independent black media by making a donation today, a tax-deductible donation to the Black Talk Media Project, and you can make that donation by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com and you will see the links to do so. With that said, recognize that we live behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. They still practice in slavery. We still suffering from police brutality. And as I also call them the slave catchers. Um, so, you know, you, you have to you have to really be on alert at all times, especially when you're out in public. So with that said, y'all be safe. Peace and blessings to all. Thank you.